Welcome to Darius World Podcast. Today I'm honored to interview Josh Fetty, who is the founder and CEO of SalesReach. Now, Josh has always had a passion for marketing and sales, but after seeing on how sales has changed over the last 20 years, he wanted to create something that helped entrepreneurs around the world and business owners to ultimately you know, create a personalized, uh, personalized experience when, you know, connecting and communicating with their prospects. So um, today he's going to share his journey and how he became to do that and his experience with the listeners. So I'm very excited to have him. Thank you uh, so much for listening in and thank you for being part of this. Josh, you are um, the... Basically, you started your own company a few years back. What made you get started with uh, your own company, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, the product came out of uh, a need that I personally had uh, for a sales technology that just at the time didn't exist. Um, it was originally a product that I had built for myself 15 years ago, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. Um, it was a product that I built when I owned my first company, which was a marketing agency. And I was very unhappy with my personal sales process. And so I built a, a, a quick little tool for myself that only I could use that helped make my sales process a little bit easier for my customers. Um, at the time, I didn't see a need to build this out for anyone else to use it. I thought this was a problem that only I had that I was just solving for. Um, but 15 years later, after I had originally built that, I learned that the problem that I had solved for was actually a, a, an increasing problem for many more people in many more industries that were in customer-facing roles. And that's when I kind of had the light bulb moment where I went back to what uh, the blueprint of what I had originally built and, and assembled a team and assembled some funding and just started building what eventually became our current product, which is SalesReach. Yeah. And how long has it been on the market now, if you don't marry it? Yeah. It's been on the market for just about two and a half years now. Yeah. So it's fairly, it's yeah. still a startup company, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this yeah, is yeah. still a very much a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Even though it took 15 years to develop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes that's what it takes, right? Um, you know, I, I had other things going on in my life and it didn't mm. seem um, to be anything that was worth putting in what it takes to build a business um, because I didn't think that there was enough support uh, for something like what I had built in the ecosystem. But it really, um, it became something Thing that I had to build. It became something that so many people absolutely needed in my conversations I was having um, that I knew if I, if I spent any more time not building this product, it would be a huge disservice to myself and, yeah, and other absolutely. people. So we just had to build it. Fantastic. Well, good on you for doing it. That's awesome. What do you, uh, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome in building that um, you know, in building that software or that, you know, service that you now provide? Yeah, I think um, building the software was actually very simple because my background was 
in digital product development. So I've always been in a business development role, working in the creative services industry, and in the latter part of my career, working specifically in digital product development. So mm-hmm. I knew the types of people that I needed to build what I needed to build. I knew how, how to architect it. I could see what the solution would look like. So um, I had to assemble the team first. And again, that was pretty easy for me because I had people in my previous life that did exactly what I needed uh, to to have done. So I aligned myself with those people. Um, I was lucky enough to get the people that I honestly wanted on my team building this product to agree to come on and to help me build this thing. Um, I would say the hardest thing for me early on was raising money. I had never raised money in my life. And so I didn't really know what that looked like. Um, But again, it was something that I think because of my background in sales ended up being a lot easier for me to actually do um, than I thought it would be. It turns out I'm actually pretty good at fundraising. And so that, um, that ended up actually not being the biggest challenge in the world. I would say... What ended up being the actual biggest challenge in building this company was um, after we launched the first beta MVP version of the software and put it in people's hands, the hardest thing for me was just getting over what I thought we had built and Mm -hmm. truly listening to our customers and understanding how they're using it and the actual problems that we are solving for and not allowing all the predetermined um, ideas of what we had been building to get in the way of actually innovating within this product and building what our customers actually needed. Because the customer, that, the product that we set out to build and the product that it is today are, yes, they are very similar. But what it became changed a lot because of how we learned people were going to actually use it and the challenges they were going to be solving for when using it. Those were different than we had anticipated. Hmm. Okay. So what's the main thing that ultimately sales reach does for the people that do use it? Yeah. So the main challenge that we're solving for, number one, is to help make it easier for your customers to make purchasing decisions with you in a B2B space. If you've ever purchased any thing in a B2B environment, you know that it's a very clunky experience. It's not like going to Amazon and ordering a bunch of stuff for your home and personal use. Much different. It costs more money. There's more decision makers involved with everything. There's a lot of back and forth. There's very long um, sales cycles, right? Many of our customers have anywhere from a six-month to two-year sales cycle. That's a lot of back and forth with the people that they're talking to. And it's because it's a high-priced, high-ticket item that you can't just move on, right? Like some of these companies are are completely switching to an entire new ecosystem on a new software that's going to, you know, it's going to take a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of time to implement this thing. They're going to have to hire external vendors to help them out. It's a big deal, right? Yeah. So the challenge that we were trying to solve for was, number one, let's just make buying in a B2B space easier for people. Let's just make it easier. Okay, well, how do we make it easier? What are the things that are challenging? All right. Well, like we were talking about just now, um, decision times are very long. Sales cycles are very long. 
there's multiple decision makers involved. So what is currently a challenge when you have multiple decision makers involved in long sales cycles? Well, what is a challenge and what Gartner recently put out a handful of articles talking about is the fact that buying in the B2B space, the number one challenge right now is buyer confusion, is the fact that there's so much information out there in the world and they're identifying their own problems and their own potential solutions and they're trying to make sense of all this information that's put in front of them, whether it's from them organizing it themselves or from sales professionals sending them information, that when it comes time to make a decision, they are so confused, they can't make sense of the deal. So they either don't move forward at all and stick with the devil that they know, or they move forward on a lower dollar amount because it feels like the safe decision to do. So companies are losing a lot of money, obviously, because of this confusion that's being caused for buyers. So our product helps you organize all the information that you would ever want to put in front of your prospects to help make it easier for them to build consensus on their side when they are group selling the information to their additional team members internally. Um, Additionally, though, we wanted to better humanize the sales process in a digital space. Video is an incredibly powerful sales tool right now. If you are a sales professional and you are not using video right now, you are missing out every single day. You're losing money. Um, If you simply put a video GIF in your email when you send it to someone, the stats say you will get a 26% higher response rate. I think every sales professional in the world would be happy to get a 26% higher response rate from their emails. And literally, it's as simple as putting a GIF of an e- of a video in your email. And there's a lot of video tools on the market, right? There is, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a ton of them. And we have video built into our software because we know it's powerful. Mm. The big difference between our tool and another video tool is, again, the experience of working with you. We're trying to make a better buying experience here. If I were to send you a video in an email through any of the other video services that exist out there, what would happen is you would get an email and it would have a GIF of me waving at you, maybe holding a sign with your name on it, something like that. And you would click on that and it would take you out of your email to a page where that video will play because video does not play in email. It just doesn't. Okay. When you get to that page with a video tool, what's on that page? Typically, it's a link to your calendar, maybe a text box to write a message and a video, and that's it. With our tool, when you get to that page, it can be as simple as that. You can build a page with just a video, some text, and link to your calendar. If that's all you need, you can do that all day long. But you can continue using our platform moving forward through the entire deal stage and into customer success and onboarding and training because now you can organize all the things that you would be sending them directly on this page as well, rather than sending them bulky emails with a bunch of attachments, multiple links to multiple places with storage. It's all on one page. So we make buying easier. That's the problem we're solving for is, Mm. is the challenging environment of buying in the B2B space. So it's almost like a project software tool, a video marketing tool and a project management tool and CRM tool combined in one. And an asset management system. Yep. All built in, all in one place, right? We're stealing the playbook of HubSpot is essentially what we're doing. HubSpot was genius because HubSpot created an incredible CRM, marketing-focused CRM Mm. that brought a bunch of tools that all modern marketers should be using to make better 
more personal experiences for customers in the awareness stage. We did the same thing for sales professionals. Here's all the tools that you likely use in your day-to-day. And if you don't, you should be. These are all tools that are proven to help influence deals and make you more money all in one place so that you can just easily create these experiences. So obviously, um, I would assume this is not only for big corporations, but the tool that you develop is also for small businesses. Am I correct in assuming that? Yeah, absolutely. We have sales teams of two. We have sales teams of hundreds using our software. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So Nick, when, you know, when it comes to selling, I mean, one of the things that I always talk is the mindset is just as important, if not the most important thing. Um, when it comes to talking to your customer, being there to serve them rather than doing a sales pitch and trying to piss down to sell, to close the sale. Mm-hmm. What has been your experience when it comes to selling? Is it the same kind of thing where you say the mindset and, and serving the customer is important first or are you a big believer of we need to do the sort of like twisting somebody's arm to actually get them on board? <laughs> yeah, no. No, I'm definitely not of that mindset. I don't sell. I don't sell, right? We should all be there to help. We should all consider ourselves in a sales environment to be strategic advisors that are trying to align um, with the goals um, and the outcomes that our customers have. And if those goals and outcomes do not map up to whatever we're bringing to the table, whatever product or service we're selling, then we should remove ourselves from that communication. Um, And we should remove ourselves from that communication by making an introduction to somebody in our network that can better serve them because that's how you build trust and that's how you build a relationship. Um, If we approach deals, uh, if we approach people and we just say, look, they're either going to buy from me today or they're dead to me, then we're really uh, sacrificing our future earning potentials. If instead we seek to fully understand what their challenges are, what their needs are, and either align them with products or services that we currently have that will help them or be honest with them when we can't and move them to someone that can better help them, we will always be the person then that they remember as being knowledgeable in our space. And when they have a need that they now know we can solve for, we will be the person that they reach out to first. So um, no, I'm not, I'm a, I'm not a big proponent of getting on the phone and trying to close those deals. Um, at my organization, we do not go in for the hard close after the demo. There's a lot of sales trainers in the SaaS space that disagree with the way that we do demo calls at our organization. Um, But here's what I know. I know that nobody wants to get on a demo call with me and be tricked into, actually, I'm not going to give you a demo. I'm going to pre-qualify you for 30 minutes, and then I'm going to get you to schedule a second meeting with me. People don't actually like that. I disagree with that. Also, what I know is that if I do give somebody a demo, they don't like when somebody says, okay, so here's the price. How do I get you started right now? Oh, you're not interested right now? Oh, is this not a priority for you? Oh, well, what are the things that are getting... People don't like that. People do not like that. What we need to remember is we need to sell to people the the way we want to buy. That's how we need to sell to people. Give them the options. If you give them the value, if they see the value, if you're respectful to them, they will come back when it makes sense for them to come back. So that's the way we sell at our organization. 
And honestly, that's, that's the way that I think you should sell to people. I don't think the hard sell is ever a great idea. Well, you know, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I actually wrote a book on, on how to do that kind of thing where I talk about not only, you know, the front end sale, but also the back end sale, how important it is to, you know, ultimately serve your customer in a better way by making customer service experience not that experience that it is right now for most companies the only time you get customer service on the phone is if you need to pay a bill and if there is a a problem or if you need to make a complaint and um, and i believe ultimately what needs to happen with customer service it needs to be the happy consult consultation service instead where yes there are conditions and regulations and there are certain structure in every company that we need to obey by or look at how can we do this to actually build the business but not to disadvantage the customer or you know ultimately just tell the customer well those are our conditions and that's it you know and i think that there's a lot of potential on the back end to be quite honest when we end up talking to uh, an existing customer where they're at with whatever service that they're using, where they're at uh, with the software or the service that you're providing them with, if there's anything else that they need, what are the life experiences or business experiences they're making right now, and here in between the lines what they need ultimately in order to serve them. Because that way, when you do that correctly, you end up making a lot more sales on the back end than on the front end. And you don't need to twist anybody's arms. Nope. Without question. And here's the thing. All customer-facing teams are part of a revenue unit. Hands down. Okay? Mm-hmm. The experience really does matter. It doesn't just matter when they're talking to someone in quote-unquote sales. That's not the only time they should have a good experience buying from you. Right? And when they do make their first purchase with your organization, they move into customer success. Customer success is going to be responsible for the next sale and the sale after that and the sale after that. And, in, and whether or not that customer moves forward with additional, uh, bringing additional revenue to your organization is going to be solely based around, do I enjoy working with this company? Like, are they taking care of me? Are they doing all the things that they said they were going to do when they were trying to court me here? Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's too easy to make a dating analogy, but it's so true, right? I mean, when we're dating our future spouses in this world, we are the best, kindest version of ourselves, right? <laughs> I mean, you need a back rub? Oh yeah, I love giving back rubs. I, I give back rubs. I'll give you a back rub every night. Of course you will. We're dating right now, right? But now we're married, right? And so many couples have those same challenges where it's just like, you know, when we were in the honeymoon stage, everything was sunshine and roses. Now we're in real life and we're having real problems and you're not here the way I need you to be here, right? That same thing happens in business every day. Like it's too easy to make that correlation where when you're working with sales, you're in the honeymoon phase. When you move into customer success, now you're married, right? And when you're married, you get lazy. You stop keeping things spicy. You stop making sure that the other person's needs are always getting met because it's too easy. You're, you're, you're already stuck with me, right? I mean, I already won you. So what I got to do now? Well, it's, it's pretty easy, easy to draw those parallels. So yeah, it's really, really important. And I think we're kind of seeing a lot of companies put a real big focus on this right now. 
now. I think that, you know, COVID changed everything. I don't need to be, I'm not the first person to say that. I'm the 15 billionth person to say that. Mm. But what we've learned so far is that it forced companies to be more effective, more considerate, um, and more deliberate with their customers, specifically in a digital environment. What we now know as well, though, is uh, just watching the studies coming out from uh, places like McKinsey, they did a huge uh, study. They interviewed uh, buyers in the B2B space. They asked them, um, you know, everything has changed in your communications with uh, customer-facing teams, your sales professionals, when you're making buying decisions. Everything's changed. Everything's digital. Um, If COVID were to end tomorrow, would you want things to go back to the way they were before COVID or do you like the way your interactions are today? That was the question. 80% of the people they asked said, we prefer the way we're engaging with our vendors today and we want this to remain. So the things that we're learning right now about how to be more intentional and deliberate with a digital first strategy, with making it more about the experience of working with us, making it easier for people to work with us. Those are valuable, valuable things we should all be focusing on because that is the new normal and that's the way it's going to be moving forward without question. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's hope so, because I think it's one of the biggest reasons why there is so much customer turnover in companies that provide a service to go from one to another within a year or sometimes even less than a year. You know, uh, look at, I mean, sometimes like the health insurance providers or um, kind of like the gyms or telecommunication, there's so much competition going on in those kind of services that almost every one to two years, the customer is going to another provider because there is a special offer kind of thing that's happening and they're getting a better deal than if they actually remain to be a customer at that place, which is ultimately um, one of the things that I say you should actually incentivize the people that are loyal customers to you instead of the other way around. so with your software on the back end, does it also, you know, support the service provider to actually serve their customers better with the CRM to stay in touch with them after they made the purchase? Yeah. So in the back end of our tool, we we don't actually have a true CRM, right? So companies are still going to leverage the CRM that they have. The CRM, right? That's that's an abbreviation for customer relationship management software, exactly. right? And and I do think that our tool, in a, in essence, is a customer relationship management tool. The difference, though, is that ours is a visual customer relationship management tool. The things that you put into your CRM, your HubSpots of the world, your Salesforces of the world, your customers never see that stuff. It doesn't mean that those CRMs aren't critical to your business or necessary. They're they're very necessary. But the problem is you can say the nicest things in the world about every customer you have. They're never going to see it. It's never going to affect them in any single way. They're not going to see that, right? Mm. What you put into our tool, your customer actually sees. And so, yes, um, a big amount of our users, I would say about 40% of the users on our platform right now are not in sales roles. They're in customer success. They are in project management. They are in onboarding and training. They are helping guide those now customers through a better ongoing experience of being a customer. Um, We're seeing um, 
that the customers using our platform, um, especially technology companies, a lot of the te- technology companies that started using our platform started using it for a better post-sale onboarding experience because they were having issues with churn, just like you were talking about. A lot of the customers that are using our software right now to make a better onboarding experience post-sale are seeing a dramatic decrease in churn because it's very simple to understand why. Whenever you make a purchase in your life, the most stressful time, the part is right after you hand over your money. That's when buyer's remorse creeps in. For all of us, buyer's remorse is the most natural thing in the world. Whether you're buying Jiffy peanut butter or you're buying a new Tesla, you have buyer's remorse the second you walk out of the dealership or the store because you immediately ask yourself, did I actually need this? Right? I'm supposed to be saving money. I'm supposed to be eating better. Did I actually need to buy this? (laughs) Buyer's remorse steps in. And when that buyer's remorse steps in, this is where the next stage is so important because if the experience right after that isn't what your expectation was, that's when it starts spiraling out of control, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I recently experienced this just this just this last couple of weeks now. Um, I ordered a pretty high ticket um, item uh, product for my home and it arrived damaged. And it was something that because of COVID, it, it's out of stock. It's hard to get back into stock. It, um, they needed to wait for the new one to come into stock. And I said, that's fine. I'll keep this one until the next one comes in. And they said, well, that's fine, but we're not going to send this new one until you send the old one. And I said, that's fine. But when the new one comes in, can you put my name on it? Can I, can I then send this back so I don't have to go four weeks without it? And they said, uh, no, we can't do that. Uh, you're going to have to send it back and then we'll send you a new one when a new one comes. I said, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going to work. You're going to put my name on the new one when it comes in. I'm going to immediately send this one back. Then you can send the other one. They said, oh, all right, well, we'll see what we can do. Well, they sent me a note. They said, here's your uh, shipping label to send back the original item. And I said, is the new one in stock? They said, no, we don't have it yet. And I said, okay, uh, let me know when it's in stock. They sent me a note. Three weeks later, it's in stock. I said, perfect. Your shipping label's expired. Can you send me a new one? They said, yep, we'll send you a new one tomorrow. They sent me a new one. I said, I'm going to send this back tomorrow. They said, sorry, it's out of stock again. I said, so here's what I'm going to do now instead. I'm going to send this back and I want a full refund because if you can't make this easy on me, then you don't get my business and I can order this from any number of companies. So now it's on its way back and I'm getting a full refund and I'll just order the exact same item from another company that actually gives a rip about their customers, right? The experience matters. Little do they know I'm about to order a second of the exact same item to have one at my office as well. And I needed some additional accessories with it that I'm going to be ordering. So now this other company that's going to win out is going to get twice the sale that they ever got. And all they had to do was make a better experience for me. And they were incapable of doing that. Incapable. Mm. This same thing happens in the B2B space every single day. This doesn't Mm. just happen with consumer products. We buy things every single day based on hopes and promises that salespeople make to us. We get into onboarding and training or customer success, and we realize that we got lied to. We got duped. This isn't exactly what we were supposed to get. And now we're stuck and we're angry. We need to stop doing this to our customers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, it is, you know, it's sometimes really, um, it's ridiculous that it has all to do with terms and conditions and the way they structured it. And I mean, the, the thing that, that ultimately lets it down is the management and the, the way the customer team has been trying to handle things. 
And, yeah. you know, if the customer service was just there to you, you know what? We normally don't do that, but I'm going to make an exception to the rule. Um, I will put it on stock as soon as it comes in and send it out to you, send yours back. I will make a note and it will happen. Then all of that could have been avoided and you would be in a happy customer and you wouldn't ask for a refund. And yep. those are little things. But the problem we have today is that the man, like the people that make those rules, like literally sometimes I, uh, let me put it nicely, is they have shitful brains. They literally don't actually think. Yep. And um, yep. that's putting it in a nice way. And the, the, the second yep. thing is they never actually been at the phone or on the phone to actually handle customer complaints like that. So they come up with those rules according to what is the cheapest or uh, what is um, book for a bookkeeping kind of thing, the, the best way to do it. But then um, it's not practical to actually apply it. And that's the problem. And then you got a, an angry customer. I once worked for a company doing retention calls. And we actually had one rule that said, well, you are not supposed to actually give a discount when a customer calls and complains about reception. And they're not happy with their mobile phone plan. Instead, what you need to do is see that you can keep them on the contract, tell them the conditions, and only give them a discount when they are threatening you over the phone that they're going to leave. So what you need to really do is first piss them off and then go, oh, hang on. Why are you so angry? I can give you a discount. No, no. <laughs> so it's completely the opposite. So when you're actually pissed off, it's much harder to keep you with a, with a company. But so what I ended up doing, I actually was a smart, smart ass. I was actually, you know, I didn't follow their rules. Um, I said, you know what? Um I'm sorry that you're going through this right now. My apologies that the reception isn't that good. So, uh, Mr. Customer, would you tell me if this would be to continue and we don't find a solution for you that you're happy with, would you actually want to exit the contract? Are you angry? And would you actually leave us? And I had to like li literally lift them up and then he go, yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't want you to leave. So I'll give you a 20% discount. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, and that was smart of you because if you get someone to the point where they are so angry that they're threatening you, number one, you're going to have a churn that you would not believe of employees because no employee wants to be threatened on a daily basis, right? Um, but number two, if you get somebody to that point of anger, there's very little you can do to make them actually happy with the outcome. They might be okay with the outcome and stick with you a little longer, but they're never going to actually be happy. And moving forward, any conversation with them, big or small, is going to start from a point of anger because every time they got to talk to that company, they get angry and they know that they get angry. And you're training them to get angry because if they get angry, they get results. I mean, yeah, this exactly. is, this is, 
you can't do that. I mean, this is like parenting 101. Like you don't reward bad behavior. If you reward bad behavior, then you're going to have a bad kid. But, right? that, but I'm telling you, this is a, one of the companies in Switzerland that's the second largest telecommunication company that actually instructs their customer service and retention agencies that are actually doing sort of outbound and inbound phone calls to retain their customers. Those are one of the rules. Like you literally had to, um, maybe they changed it now, but that was like eight, 10 years ago or something like that when I had a part-time job like this. Um, and I felt like, oh my God, why, why are you having a rule like that? That is so counterproductive, you know, uh, productive. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. when, you know, I mean, one of the things that ultimately um, I find when it comes to, you know, there's a big difference between selling products and selling services. So with, um, with the, you know, with your software and the service that you provide, is that more used for when you're selling B2B a product or when you're selling a B2B service or can you use it for both? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's a great question. We have, we have customers using it for both of those things. So um, specifically um, we have a lot of customers in the manufacturing space, companies that are either making medical devices or making uh, or are in the 3d printing space. This our product is a good fit for those type of companies because they are very tech first in many of the things that they are already doing. Mm. So having a tech first sales process is a good idea. Um, so they use it in that capacity. However, um, to to specifically to your question, we also have a lot of uh, creative services companies that utilize our software. Um, a lot of companies that are building digital products marketing agencies, they use our software to better distribute things like testimonials, references, uh, portfolio of work that's applicable to the company that they're talking to. That's how they use it in the early stages in sales. But then those types of industries use it in customer success by putting project management resources on the page, right? Yeah. So, hey, if we're working with the creative services company, Let's say that they're building a custom website for a customer. Maybe on that page, they would load things like a clickable prototype, an Envision prototype that the customer could experiment. Maybe there's a link to the Trello board that's organizing the back and forth conversations that they're having and putting together the roadmap of what the next steps are going to be. Maybe it's a link to a document that needs approval before they move to the next stage. This is how like a creative services agency uses it in customer success. Companies like... Uh, 3D printing companies, they might list specific products on the page during the sales process that will achieve the desired outcome, whatever the customer is building, whether they're manufacturing new um, uh, helmets for using on a motorcycle, or they might be manufacturing medical devices or whatever it might be, right? But they'll put the products that make sense for you on there. And then additionally, what companies like 3D printing companies do is they bring in their um, engineers, their engineers have a lot of really important materials that need to be put in front of the customer, both pre and post sale to ensure that like everything being done is being done to the right specs um, and requirements. And so that's where those teams can kind of work seamlessly together. So you're totally right. Selling an, a physical product 
um, is completely different. However, with our software, um, it's all solving for the same challenge, which is if, as long as you're in the B2B space, um, you have the same challenge. And that challenge is that you're trying to distribute a lot of information and you're not organizing that information. So it's hard for that person to find everything and to have it in, in, in a place where they can put it in front of a decision-making team. Um, and so it really doesn't matter what you're selling in that space. It just makes it simpler. Yeah, so literally, um, even like uh, coaches and therapists and personal trainers that do B2B services can actually use it. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Fantastic. Is there, if you were to just talk to another startup in regards to getting things done to create more sales, what are the three first steps that they need to implement on a regular basis to make that happen? So number one, the first thing that I talk to a lot of founders, startup companies about is the importance in having somebody on your team that understands sales. Uh, and this, this sounds kind of silly, but so many startups, at least in my neighborhood, um, in what I kind of focus on, I focus on digital technology. I focus on SaaS startups. And a lot of SaaS startups are started by technologists that are incredible coders. They can build absolutely anything, but they don't know how to sell it. And if yeah. you don't have somebody that can sell it, then it's not going to sell, number one. So make sure that you have a co-founder or somebody that's vested in the business in some favorable way um, early that can help you sell this thing. And the second thing I say is along the lines of sales as well. Do not wait until this thing is perfect to start selling it. I started selling people on subscriptions to my software months before we ever rolled this thing out. I started showing them the little clickable prototype that we had built out. I started showing them mock-ups of what it was gonna be. I started explaining to them how they're gonna use it in their sales process. I started lining up beta users on our platform that were gonna be paid but a discounted rate right away before we even had a product. I think so many people chase perfection when they should just be chasing good because I think the number one thing we all need to remember and again, this is going to be speaking to any startups that are listening to this that are making digital products more specifically, but it applies to some other things as well. Nobody knows what's in your head. Nobody knows what all this is going to become someday. If it's solving a problem in their lives, then it is valuable to them today. And if it's valuable to them today, then you should be selling it to them today. And if you make it better and better and better and better, the number one thing you should focus on is making it better based on what they need, not what you think they need, right? And you're not going to know what they need until you give them something that they can play around with where they can actually voice their opinion on what you've given to them. So that would be the other thing that I would always tell somebody um, is, again, sales, sales, sales. It's all about sales. The last thing that I would say that served me incredibly well is don't forget the power of a good story. Be a storyteller. Uh, people are falling in love with brands these days. They really are. They're falling in love with the brand story and they're specifically falling in love with the brand because they're falling in love with the founder. If they feel like they have direct access to the CEO of a business, if that CEO, like me, is doing podcasts, is telling the story, is uh, showing up, is being accessible and available, 
um, then that that CEO becomes somebody that you feel like you know. And in many cases, you actually do know. And um, what that leads to is evangelism. And when yeah. you have evangelists talking about how much they love your product, and, oh. when, someone, and when someone says, what, what is that thing you're using? You know what my customers say? When somebody asks my customers, uh, hey, that thing you sent me, that was pretty cool. What was that? They say, oh, that's a tool called Sales Reach. I love it. I know the founder. Do you want me to give you his information? That's what they say, right? That feels good for them. It feels great for me, right? But everybody wants to have that moment in their life where they feel like they're a part of something really cool. And if you're creating something really cool that's solving problems for people and helping them live a better life because you created this thing, if you do it right, they become evangelists. They want to cheer you on and they become the most incredible referral sources for your company to grow. So focus on how do you build evangelists. Have a laser focus on that and you'll win. That is a fantastic. Those are really great tips and the last one is a fantastic one as well. Thank you. So let's say the people that are listening to this podcast and um, want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Is it through your website or LinkedIn or both? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, LinkedIn is the best place, right? That's where we met. Um, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. And so um, sending me a direct message on LinkedIn, um, make sure to mention that you, you, you know, heard this um, because I, I try to be careful. I don't, I don't connect with everybody. Um, I try to connect with people that I think I will bring value to and that will bring value into my feed when I go onto LinkedIn because LinkedIn is a really powerful place for me to make business and I don't want to be inundated with stuff that doesn't matter to me. So I'm very picky about who I bring in. But if people find me on channels like this, uh, in podcasts like this, um, then those are the kind of people I want to be connected with because those are people that have a growth mindset. Those are people that are looking to learn. And typically people that are interested in learning, once they've learned something, they're the same type of people that turn around and want to share those learnings. So those are the, exactly the type of people I want to be connected to. So LinkedIn, best place to connect with me, but you can go to salesreach.io and you can always just fill out our bot or fill out the form on that website. Um, and that'll go to me or someone on the team. <laughs> okay, that sounds awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, you know, making the time and doing the interview, Joshua. I really appreciate it. I think it was fantastic. And it's it was great to also get to know a little bit about your background story and how you came to doing it all. And, um, you know, so it's, um, it's always uh, inspiring to actually have a conversation with someone that goes through similar situations like, you know, myself. I mean, I started my thing over five years ago, but I actually, it took me about, I'd say almost 20, almost 20 years to ultimately finally make up my mind about it and ultimately get the thing started. And yeah. even though I had this idea for a long, long time, I just couldn't figure out what it really was until, um, until I was in my 40s kind of thing and I had a health scare. And so that's when I figured out, well, it's time about uh, for me to, you know, do my own thing and stop promoting everybody else besides myself and share my experience and my knowledge. So it's good to hear that you had a similar kind of experience with what you, what you ended up doing with your software 
And, um, and I had a similar experience with my mindset kind of thing when it came to sales and serving people and helping them in the self-development industry. It just shows that regardless if you're, you know, a geek with technology or if you are a person like myself that's into self-development and, um, and, you know, working, having worked in the self-development industry and ultimately it all is connected to your own purpose in a way. So, you know, when you know your purpose and you're clear about why you want to do it, not only to serve yourself, but also to help other people that go through similar situations like you, then it's just proof that that's a very strong motivator to ultimately take action and make things happen. Yeah. Nope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me on here. I really do. I can't wait to see final product come out. You'll have to make sure to tag me on LinkedIn when this one goes live. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Once once I've uploaded it on my podcast, Dario's World, I will uh, sure, um, you know, let you know and uh, also give you the link so you can promote it on your network, of course, and the people know as well. And um, yeah, absolutely, for sure. So I will um, let you know as soon as it, it, it gets live, for sure. I love it. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. You're most welcome. Thank you for being uh, part of it. And thanks for sharing your experience and wisdom. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Bye.